With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Coming up today, we are going to talk about Patrick Reed's victory at the WGC Mexico Championship. Bryson DeChambeau continuing to figure things out. Victor Hovland breaking through in the winner's circle in Puerto Rico. Welcome in to the Golf Central podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it, the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. So check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. And with that, I'm Will Gray, pleased to be joined today by fellow GolfChannel.com writer Nick Menta. Nick, thanks for stopping by. A little podcast suite we've got going on here for another weekly installment. Uh, it, it was a busy weekend. We had we went international. We've got Mexico, you got Puerto Rico, eyes on both, but a lot of action this weekend. It's a pleasure to be here and explore the studio space with you. Yes. I guess there's only one place to start, and that's with Mr. Patrick Reed and his sure. victory at the World Golf Championship. We were just talking a little bit off air about how he's a big game hunter. You went through the resume. He not only thrives in the controversy and sort of being in the spotlight for reasons positive or negative, but he, he also appears to be something of a big game hunter. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into that in, in a second, but we do have to talk about the controversy because you don't. the elephant is very much in the room. This all goes back to the Hero World Challenge in December when he moves sand with his club. It's on camera. He ends up getting a penalty. Some people thought he might have needed or or deserved a, a stronger punishment. Brooks Kepka comes out on Tuesday and talks about Patrick building sandcastles uh, in, at Albany. Uh, the next day, there's uh, Peter Costas, a former longtime CBS announcer, is on a podcast with the boys of No Laying Up. And uh, he talks about the fact that, listen, I've seen Patrick improve his lie on four different occasions. Four times. And he came with the receipts. He said it was at this tournament on this hole. He hit it here. So th- it, these were very specific examples that Peter Costas uh, brought out. And, and amid all of this discussion and, and bringing back the embers of the controversy, Patrick Reed shuts it all down before the tournament, says, I'm just here to play golf. I'm not concerned about it. And then, look, he goes out, plays great for four days, rallies past Bryson, over the last five or six holes, and, and he's got another WGC, WGC title to his credit. Uh, the video that popped up, you, you talked about Costas bringing the receipts. There was, uh, I want to say it was from Beth Page, where, yes. where it wasn't just like, oh, here's here's anecdotally what happened. You can go back and see it on the broadcast, uh, or at least hear Costas' comments about it. Uh, so this isn't going away. Right. I, I think no matter how many times he continues to win and assert himself and maybe even one day become a top five player in the world in the official World Golf ranking— 
um, he's sort of cemented his status as as the sports villain. And I don't know that it's uh, in some ways it's good. It gives you something else to 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 talk about as opposed to just having a, another winner where we sort of extol the guy's virtues and say, yeah, another, another win. It gives you a different element to the game. There's always, it's always better when you have kind of a mix of personalities and a cast of characters, but it, it's clear that the controversy is not going away because he never really owned it. Just have him go full heel. Just embrace it. It's it's professional wrestling in its finest. He's, he's there on Sunday. He's dressed in all black. He's, he's coming in. You know, we've, we've, we're no longer doing the, the Tiger knockoff with red and black in the final round. But he's just all black and, and all business. And to his credit, um, massive putt at 17. Yeah. Oh, even before that, I mean, you go back, the, uh, the par putt, I think it was on 14 or 15, just to stay within two shots of Bryson, where it seemed like, okay, now Patrick has made this putt. It was a long, it was a, a two putt from about 70 or 80 feet, and he got it down. And it's like, all right, well, at least now it's a ball game. Bryson is only up by two. And then all of a sudden, Bryson starts to falter at the end, and, and Reed reels off three straight birdies, and the script is flipped. And, you know, squeezes that tee shot right on 18. I, I Maybe that could have been even worse, but rather calmly chips back out, gets on the green, two putts from 30 feet. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about how it's his short game and his putting that differentiates him from other guys of his generation, where as everybody else is just sort of like fairways and greens bashing the ball as best they can— um, he's a magician around the greens, and he just seems to have a knack for making that putt at the big moment. We've seen it in the Ryder Cup so often, and he's now up to third in the points, by the way. So Yes. Uh, well, that's, that's a big deal because there was a lot of talk after the fallout in Australia. He, he had, a, obviously, a rough time in Paris two years ago. It's will, will Patrick Reed be a pick? Is, is it something where he's going to have to earn his way onto these teams each and every time? And it seems like he has now earned his way He's not going to need straights. a pick. Right. He will not need a pick this time. He's up to third. He, he's going to play a lot. He's going to rack up points the way the U.S. point system works it it you know rewards guys like Reed that go out and play 26 28 times in a year so he's almost assuredly going to make this team without relying on a pick from Steve Stricker and and plenty of his teammates in in December in Australia stood up for him um Brooks was not in that room yes and and Brooks is very likely to be in that room at Whistling Straits and so I, I'm just curious to see and look granted it's what six seven months from now and there's there's a lot to still happen between now and then but like we said, he's not going to need a pick. He's going to be in that room, and it'll be interesting to see what that dynamic is. So we mentioned earlier, big game hunter. I want to run down. He now has eight PGA Tour victories uh, at the age of 29. You've got to obviously start with the Masters in 2018. So he's got a major, two WGCs, two playoff events, the, the Tournament of Champions, and then the other two events were his first win at the Wyndham where he beat Jordan Spieth in a playoff, and then in Palm Springs, where he shot 63 each of the first three rounds and blew the field away. I mean, five or six out of those eight are, are really top-tier events and significant wins. And clearly, you know, you throw in the controversy or whatever, and, and that has, has brought him to another level. But he's able to, to put up some really big results in, in these big events. There's no questioning his talent. And that's what makes him so compelling. Right. It's, it's the controversy coupled with the talent. And the, there's no taking that away from him, regardless of— you know, whether we have, you know, how many document instances of, the, well, that didn't look right or maybe he shouldn't have done that or he shouldn't have said that, whatever it was. Um, the reason we're so captivated by him is not just because of the controversy. It's because of how truly talented he is. And we'll see what he does next. We should mention the guy that, that for much of the back nine, it looked like was going to win this event. And that's Bryson DeChambeau, who was up by two for for on through like 14 or 15 holes. Then he falters. He doesn't birdie 15. 
He ends up scrambling for par on 16, has a, has a critical three-putt bogey on 17, ends up losing by a shot. Uh, it, it's a disappointing finish for Bryson, but I, I come away with positives from him. This train is rolling downhill in, in a big way that he took so much flack in the offseason for the bulk-up strategy. And listen, it, it's low-hanging fruit. It's very easy to to point and laugh and say, what's this guy doing? He's trying to turn into a gymnast and, and he's leaving golf behind. The results are coming around. The strokes gained off the tee, starting in Phoenix, is really trending in the right direction. He's got top 10 finishes now. He's got a runner-up at a WGC event this week in Mexico. I feel like he's trending in the right direction after taking a very controversial approach to the offseason. As, as our own Ryan Lavner pointed out in his, his Monday Scramble column uh, just this Lav. morning. Shout out to Lav. Um, he's been vindicated in so far as he is hitting the ball further. He is, you know, uh, in picking up a lot of strokes on the field and strokes game off the tee. Um, I think the next thing for him is to work out the iron play. And then if he puts it all together, you know, uh, he, he will be vindicated once he gets that win. Uh, what did you make of his comments to our own Todd Lewis after, after the <laughs> round? With respect to to the individual we were just talking about in Patrick Reed, yeah, that they they have a kindred spirit. Was that the basically that that he looks at Patrick? He was congratulating Patrick on the final green, and he made a point of doing so. And he said, based on what we've all what we've both been through, and we both get a bad rap, and we've done things that maybe we shouldn't have, and things like that. That he he's basically saying that we are we are the PJ Tour's black sheep, and we get along because of that similarity. I thought it was it was introspective i thought it was interesting i don't know that it's an apples and oranges comparison i I don't think that that bryson's career up until this point equates with some of the things that patrick reed has been accused of doing uh you know but at the same time whatever whatever works for you right i mean these these are two guys who very much function well within their team i don't know that there's anyone on the range that has more people physically around him on a PGA Tour range than Bryson DeChambeau. There's always at least four or five people there. We saw this week he had a towel guy standing behind him holding up the towel as he hit putts because he had a laser that he was trying to work on. And, and if the laser gets too powerful, it breaks federal regulation and that he had to keep the shadow behind it. So he's got a guy holding the towel. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts with Bryson. And the same with, with Patrick Reed, who's very clearly insular. And he talks about we and Team Reed and all that stuff. And they work well in their in their pods. And they have a great record of success. But I do think that in an individual sport where you kind of get isolated like that, that there is a bit of sense of finding some kindred spirits who are functioning in a similar way. I just thought it was sort of an interesting look into maybe how Bryson perceives himself. Yeah. Because I I wouldn't have necessarily made that comparison. I guess it's more, more important than Bryson would. But when I think of Bryson, I don't think of controversy. I think more of curiosity. Like, I think we're all sort of entertained by Bryson on a weekend week out basis even if we don't always know what he's talking about um it's it goes back to what I talked to a little bit about earlier in terms of like having a different cast of characters in the game and having you know everybody sort of has their their part to play and I I see Bryson more as a curiosity and and an entertaining one and not necessarily um you know the a figure of controversy. So I, I thought it was strange that he would make that comparison, but clearly that's how he sees himself. Yeah, here's the quote from Bryson to, to Todd Lewis uh, shortly after the finish in Mexico. And, and Todd asked him, why did you go back and congratulate Patrick? And here's Bryson. He said, there's been a lot of stuff said in the past years, I guess you could say, with him and even with me. I feel like, unfortunately, sometimes we get quite a bad rap. There's things that we've done that haven't been right, but we haven't gotten really the best rap. We're still trying to provide great entertainment for everyone. He's a great player. 
it, it is very interesting to see and 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 just to to feel like how Bryson views himself and views Patrick and and it was you know sometimes those 18th hole interviews can be hit or miss but that was definitely one that shined a light on an interesting aspect. Uh, before we leave uh, Mexico, because we do have some stuff to talk about with Puerto Rico, I do want to point out John Rahm uh, finishes third. I, I feel like he is going to, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or feel free to say otherwise, Rahm moves past Brooks Kepka. He's now world number two that ties his career best. I feel like he is going to pass Rory at number one before Brooks does. I'm inclined to agree just because I still don't quite know what to make of Brooks coming back off, off the offseason knee stuff. Yeah. Whereas Rom has been this consistent force for Rom is for on a months. nine month heater. You go yeah. back to the to the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and he has not let his foot off the gas. I mean, in his last what seven starts here, he's got just one finish, not inside the top ten. Yeah. So, uh, if there is a, a challenger to Rory, and look, it's going to be hard to pass a guy who just keeps finishing in the top five every week. But uh, of the two, if you have to ask me, Rom or Brooks, yeah. I'm, Based strictly off recent performance, Rahm is the guy who's more likely to challenge Rory, at least in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and then I know we, we both noticed Justin Thomas comes in with a 54-hole lead. It was a crowded leaderboard. There were a lot of big names within reach, but certainly a disappointing Sunday for JT. He's already got two wins this season, uh, but he falls into a tie for six. He was the only guy among the top 28 who shot over par on Sunday. There were a lot of red figures, and he was not able to get it together. Same thing last year where he had a 54-hole lead at this event and also couldn't get it done. And it's it's curious because the guy is a – He's a noted closer. closer. He's very good closer. Eight of 11. Um, We also saw him have problems late on Sunday at the Tournament of Champions. He pulled that out, but he played about as poorly as you could play and still pull it out. Um, I never know what to make of situations like this. You know, we talk a lot about Rory be like, oh, geez, it's frustrating to have another top five. Um, But you have to continually put yourself in that space. You're not against these fields. You're not going to win every week. So it's one of those things where... Are you damned if you do because you played so well and you didn't get it done? Um, so I'm not, it's not like I'm worried about Thomas. It's just I'm always interested in the way we sort of frame these postmortems for guys who play really well but just don't quite clear the hump. Yep. Uh, I want to shift focus uh, to Puerto Rico, perhaps the fifth major. Who knows? But it, it, it's, always, it's always a big event for a, a lot of different reasons. You've got guys playing. You've got, you've got younger guys playing to, to earn their stripes. You've got older veterans trying to make a big run, and we saw those two elements clash Sunday uh, in Rio Grande. Victor Hovland, the class of 2019, continues to shine. Victor Hovland gets his first career PGA Tour win. You have him, Colin Morikawa, Matt Wolf have now all three won on the PGA Tour in less than a year since turning pro. You know, it was last May. They're all in college and, and playing in the NCAAs. Now they're all exempt for multiple years on the PGA Tour. A remarkable achievement. If you haven't done it yet, I would encourage you to, to look on social media to get the, the call in Norwegian. There were some <laughs> Norwegian announcers announcing, because Hovland dropped a bomb on the on the 25-30-footer on the last green and, and rolled it in with plenty of pace for a one-shot win over Josh Teeter, who we'll get to in a second. But, but it He's the first Norwegian ever to win on the PGA Tour. It's a big deal for Norway, and it's certainly a big deal for Hovland, who was in that discussion among those 2019 guys. Now he's into the players, into the PGA. He's got a job for a couple of years. He's on the cusp of the Masters in terms of the world ranking top 50. A lot to like about this guy who is going to be around and going to win plenty of times on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it was one of those situations last year where because Wolf and Morikawa won, they were able to to become full tour members, whereas Havlin had to go back to Corn Ferry Finals. Yep. Uh, or I shouldn't say back to, had to go to Corn Ferry Finals. Uh, was no sweat. He's back on tours, full status, and now he's a winner. And to, to have all three of those guys win within 
period of what, eight months, whatever yeah. it is, um, is just genuinely impressive and, and leads you to believe that this is not going to be <laughs> an outlier, right? It's it's not like, oh, they all magically did it and they'll fade away. These are three guys who are all young who you would expect to have meaningful, successful tour careers for the next 15 to 20 years. Um, and to see them have such early success would would lead you to believe that more is on the way. So Hovland won by one shot with the birdie on the last hole, but I got to draw back to earlier in the back nine where he had a moment that was extremely relatable uh, for myself. I'm sure you can share in this. He's up by three shots, playing the 11th hole, an innocuous par three. He misses the green to the right, ends up just absolutely chunking a, a chip shot, chunks the next one. He ends up making a triple bogey six on a pretty easy par three, goes from three shots in the lead into a tie for the lead, basically tried tried to blow the tournament, came up short. Uh, he ends up winning. But he's 230th this season in strokes gained around the green. And when asked on the final green by, by Kirk Byers— How good is this quote? This is so good. He said, well, take me back to 11, what happened? He said, I just suck at chipping. That's all. That's what all else do you to, want me to say? He said, over the course of 72 holes, it's going to come up, and I was 100% exposed on that green. Now, to be fair, to his credit, he chipped in for birdie on the previous hole on 10. He went on to chip in for eagle on 15. So it's not like he was off the rails, like tin cup on the on the range with a wedge in his hand. The guy figured it out, but he had a bad moment. I feel like that speaks to not only the confidence to be able to overcome that on the on the back nine, but then just to be able to address it. So many times guys that struggle, whether it's with chipping or, or putting or one acknowledge it. Yeah, they won't even talk about it for fear of, of giving it life. And he's like, yeah, you know, I suck at chipping. I'm going to get better. I need to work on it. And now he's got he's got the win to his credit. Certainly easier to to say that coming off the win, whereas yes. if he loses by a shot or two or whatever the situation is. But yes, credit to him for for not talking around it and saying like, no, no, it's fine. Things happen out there. I'm not worried about it. He's part gonna, of the process. Yeah, it's part of the process. He owns it and he's going to have look. It doesn't probably come up all that often because of how many fairways and greens the guy hits. Yeah. So if he's going to have a weak spot, I guess that would be it. Uh, it's the glaring hole in his game, but he clearly can fight through it and win to contend. How many rounds did he have consecutively in the 60s in the PGA Tour? So uh, it's something he'll work on, but it's clearly not holding him back as of yet. Yeah, you mentioned that it would have been perhaps a different quote if he was on the wrong side of the leaderboard. And, and that was a tough interview with Josh Teeter, who comes up one shot short. He had about a 15-footer for birdie on the final green, left it right in the jar, one one or two rolls short. And he almost couldn't talk. He was clearly emotional afterwards. He's 40 years old. He's making – it was his 193rd PGA Tour start. He's never won before in the PGA Tour. We talk about how big of a win this is for Victor Hovland, but you get in these additional field events and you see how big it can be for guys who are, are veterans on tour and, and haven't gotten that chance. I know you were out at that John Deere a few years back when Spieth beat Tom Gillis in a playoff, and I thought immediately to that where Tom Gillis is in his 40s. He's never won on tour. Yes, it was big for him to finish second and get some of his card for the next year, and, and probably similar for Teeter. He's he's going to be in pretty good shape for next year after playing this season on conditional status. But, man, those guys know just how rare those opportunities are to have a meaningful putt on the 72nd green, and you could see the emotion on his face afterwards. This week and the Deer event that you mentioned um, represent, like, this ascendant young superstar, and I'm, I'm – Pretty much ready to go there with Hofland yep. already. You have this ascendant young superstar who this will just be the first of many or just, you know, number whatever in a long career filled with wins. Whereas that would have been the career defining win for both of those guys for Teeter. And that interview afterwards, I've never seen, <laughs> I shouldn't say I've never seen an interview, but rarely do you see when the words do not match the body language to such a degree 
as what was going on with Josh Teeter, where he's, you know, was asked, is this going to stick with you? Is this going to hang with you? And he goes, no, I'm just going to move on. Nothing but good for this. Nothing but good with the tears in his eyes. And you know that his head says, yes, this is only good for me. It's, it's, I get the points. I get the money. I get all of it. And it's a step in the right direction. But you know his heart is thinking, how, when am I getting this opportunity again? So it was just fascinating to see <laughs> the words not matching up with, with the expression. Yeah, and there was plenty to take in a positive direction from Josh Teeter. I mean, there, there were crazy conditions coming down the stretch. There's, it's raining sideways. They briefly had to stop play because water was pulling up on the greens. Hits a fabulous 8-iron through the rain at 17. Yes, he had great, great aggressive uh, iron approach into 17, makes the putt, hits a good wedge on 18, and just leaves it a little bit short. But but you're right. This is his second runner-up finish on the PGA Tour. The other actually came behind Tiger Woods at the 2013 Farmers, uh, but he was several strokes behind, so it's a, kind of a different situation. So, so you just know, and and even last year, I was at the Wyndham when he had to play his way into the top 150 just to get the conditional status that he does this season. He's been a guy who's teetered on that edge, no pun intended, to to have your card, to not have your card for a couple of years, and and to be able to to be a winner on the PGA Tour at age forty to get that two year exemption, those are really meaningful, uh, you know, opportunities for a guy like that. And it was certainly bittersweet to see him as candid as he was in the moments after. All right, so we want to switch our attention uh, now to this week's event. We're we're off the West Coast. We're back in the U.S. We're heading south to the Honda Classic, PGA National, always one of the toughest tracks on the PGA Tour. Oftentimes, we've seen single digits under par win this tournament. Keith Mitchell's defending. Uh, Not exactly a star-studded field. You've got one player out of the top 10 in the world playing. Now, granted, that is Brooks Kepka, a local resident and a Palm Beach product. Uh, But you've got Ricky Fowler as as a past champion, as I say, Keith Mitchell is defending. Uh, what are your thoughts overall as we shift not only to Honda, but as it, it kickstarts the Florida swing? We're going to see each of the next four weeks events in the Sunshine State. It's hard to argue that Honda hasn't been negatively impacted by the schedule change. Um, and it's a situation where there's so many good events on top of one another that everybody has to make choices about where they're going to play. Um and so this is a case where, yes, you have Brooks in the field, you have Gary Woodland, you have Ricky Fowler, Justin Rose, but this is not quite as strong as it's been in years past. Um, it'll be a challenge, but you're going to see more guys play at Bay Hill. You've got the players right on the backside of that. And then two weeks after that, the match play. Two weeks after that, the Masters. So if you start stringing events together, you're going to wear yourself out into the, to the run-up to Augusta National. And clearly, guys are, are structuring their schedule to be at their best when they they need it most well i do think it's a valid point i mean there are the the way that the spring schedule rolls out there are a ton of important events for players and there just aren't that many weeks you talk about well you know honda is in a tough spot but if you try and rework the schedule there's not a lot where of are you going to put it right where are you going to go and i know uh, it seemed like when the the revamped schedule first came out a couple years ago everyone looked to tampa and the valspar championship and said wow they're in a tough spot the week after the players but they've actually been able to keep a pretty good field this year they've got kepka they've got dj coming the honda is the one that that seems like it's in a really tight spot as you mentioned you've got a wgc and riviera and elevated status event on one side you've got the players and another elevated status event in bay hill on the other side there are only so many weeks in, in the spring where you can play these events and it's it's not going to happen to have guys or expect top players to play four or five weeks in a row leading into the Masters. This is a part where maybe you play two, 
tops three, but really you want to pick and choose your spots heading into the Masters to not only make sure your game is in a good place, but to make sure that there's still plenty of gas in the tank. And there were even some some high-profile guys who didn't make it to a WGC last week. So it just sort of speaks to the idea that these guys are going to pick and choose and do what works best for them. Um, uh, and they're going to have to miss some events. Yeah, I mean, Ricky Fowler, a former champion at Honda, skipped last week in Mexico. He's playing this week at PGA National. Justin Rose did the same. He skipped Mexico. He's going to play here. Same so, thing with Kepka. Yeah, and Kepka as well. So so clearly that's part of the strategy where you saw so many guys playing in Riviera, and from there it's like, all right, I'm going to pick my spots. And many go to Mexico City. Some are going to Palm Beach Gardens. And, and I think it also depends on how well you – align your game with this course. I mean, this is a difficult, difficult test. Oftentimes you see wind come up. You've got thick, rough Bermuda greens. We're off the Poana. We're on to Bermuda. It's just a different skill set, and some guys really enjoy that, and some guys steer clear. The rough gets brutal, and the combination of the rough, the water, especially in the in those, those the back nine there in the bear trap, and the wind that whips through there. This is not an easy golf course. In an age where so many PGA Tour tracks are really set up to be conducive to scoring, this is an outlier. Feel free to take a drink because you mentioned bear trap first. Uh, but <laughs> we almost made it out. Uh, who do you have your eye on this week? As we said, there, there's a bunch of guys in there. Is there anyone that, that you feel like might be, not necessarily feeling the heat, but someone that you, you have some expectations for that you've got circled, say, I want to see what this guy's going to do this week at the Honda? I would like to see Fowler bounce back because yep, he was, was so thought. adamant about trying to win on the West Coast swing, and he had that stretch where he was going to play uh, the American Express, played Tory, played Waste Management, and he was very clear where he said, I want to win one of these three events. I want to get off to a good start, and it just didn't happen for him. Um, but he does have a, a pretty solid history at this event. He has four career top tens. He's got a win, and he's got a runner-up. Uh, the win and the runner-up are just within two of last the last years. three years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, considering the disappointment he had on the West Coast and considering the, the form he's had at this event in the past, it's again, it's in his backyard. Um, he's the guy who, who my expectations are sort of focused on this week. That was my thought as well. It's amazing to think that this is a guy who for so long we've seen him as a staple in, the, in and around the top 10 in the world rankings. Ricky Fowler's ranked 25th in the world. I mean, he is he's dropped down a tier in the last six, seven, eight months. I mean, he got the win in Phoenix a little over a year ago, and he's had a, a few top finishes since then. But it's it's amazing to think of him as kind of this mid-20s guy when we're so used to seeing him floating around 8th, 10th, 14th in the world rankings. Rose is also a guy I, I like this week just because we talked about how much of a test this golf course presents. Justin Rose is a guy who seems to play his best on golf courses that are not necessarily conducive to scoring. Yep. The tougher the test, the more he rises to that occasion. So I, I would not be surprised to see him play well this week either. Oftentimes, uh, sitting in your chair is, as we said, Ryan Lavery was out this week, uh, but he is the, the resident foodie on our writing staff um i'm not going to put you on the hot spot i will say because he he usually gives gives a little bit of recommendation of where to go i will say as one who i went to high school down in palm beach county i'm a 561 kid so i'll take this one and say that if you're out and around the honda old key lime house oh. in lantana over just on the water you get some great fresh seafood as the name would would portend try the pie some good options, uh, but that's a little off the beaten path, maybe 10, 15 minutes from PJ National. That is the spot if you're out and around going to the going to the tournament this week. Take his word for it. He knows what he's talking about. There you go. Well, Nick Menta, thank you much for joining us. Thank you, uh, listeners, for, for tuning into this latest episode of the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. We do this each and every week, recapping the week that was and looking forward to the PJ Tour events that are coming up. Thanks again, Nick. I'm your host, Will Gray. We'll see you next time.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.